0: like the body's not complicated we think it's complicated but it's not that complicated it's a duality it's it's threat and safety safety is everything that makes us feel good and thrive in our lives creativity digestion reproduction sleep and energy recovery all of that good stuff that makes our lives rich and enjoyable and then the opposite the fear side the threat side is responsible for just keeping us alive so we can enjoy life
1: Hey guys, I have a confession to make. Uh, at this very moment, I'm on shrooms. And I don't even know if I can get through this promo because I am so energized. Because it's not those kind of shrooms. It's the kind of shrooms that I can actually think on. The legal kind. I know what you're thinking, you little nuts out there. I'm talking about Four Sigmatic, the wellness company that mixes medicinal mushrooms or shrooms and adaptogens with coffee, cacao, latte, protein powder, and even edible skincare. Check this out, though. Did you know that 64% of Americans drink coffee daily, yours truly included? Well, 100% of them, including you, should be drinking Four Sigmatic Mushroom Coffee because it's more than just coffee. It's got lion's mane, one of my very favorite functional mushrooms, and it's my brain's best friend. Definitely helps to support my focus, productivity, and creativity during podcast recordings just like this one. And lion's mane mushrooms in particular have been long used by the Buddhist monks to help them focus during meditation. Now, I typically don't drink a coffee and then attempt to meditate. What I do is I get up, I heat up some spring water in my glass pot. You don't want to use like a cheap metal pot, folks. A little tip there, not only for taste, but heavy metals. Side note. And then all I do is pour this hot water in a little packet of the Four Sigmatic Mushroom Coffee, add a little ghee or grass-fed butter, some MCT oil, and I've got the most potent, delicious elixir ever. And what I really like about the Four Sigmatic mushroom coffee is that it's so fast. It's instant coffee. Not like the old school gross instant coffee that's full of mold and toxins and God knows what. This is organic, legit, mold-free, beautiful, delicious, and portable and instant coffee. So if you want to check it out, have some good energy and some delicious drinks, day or even night, if you roll like that, Get over to foursigmatic.com. That's F O U R S I G M A T I C, foursigmatic.com slash Luke Story to save 15% off your order. That's foursigmatic.com slash Luke Story. Okay, you cosmic cowboys and cowgirls, this is episode 284 of the Lifestylist podcast featuring our guest, Dr. David Rabin. Before we get into this mind-blowing conversation, I'd like to invite you to join me next week for Victory Over Viruses, Supernatural Immunity with Karen Krishnan and Tina Anderson. By the way, did you know if you subscribe to this podcast, each and every episode will be magically downloaded to your device or computer? So seriously, right now, reach down to your phone or whatever you're listening to my voice on and click subscribe on this show. Now on to today's episode, man. This is about to get deep, guys, seriously. Uh, not only deep, but also fun. I would say this is one of my favorite episodes to date as so many of the topics discussed are true to my heart and personal experience. I found out about our guest, Dr. Rabin, through my discovery of a technology he brought to market recently called the Apollo. Apollo which is the first scientifically validated wearable system to improve focus, sleep, and access to meditative states by delivering layered vibrations to the skin. I know it sounds crazy, but it actually works. And he explains how this works scientifically in the course of this interview. And also why, for me, it's become something I use consistently on a daily basis to improve my mood and my sense of overall well-being. In fact, most of the time when I'm recording podcasts, I'm wearing the Apollo. It's freaking rad. And that's one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to him. Although the focus of this conversation quickly turns to uh, the root of addictions and trauma, PTSD, mental illness, and how the various forms of psychedelic therapies, such as LSD, MDMA, psilocybin, ketamine, and even shamanic plant medicine ceremonies, are proving to be incredibly effective at overcoming all of these conditions. So we also discussed the effectiveness of psychiatric medications and how the new paradigm of therapist-assisted therapies with plant medicines and psychedelics might be much safer, more effective, and longer-lasting, if not permanent. And as someone who's had much experience in the past with all of the issues discussed, uh, as well as much success with some of the modalities that Dr. Rabin brings to light, it brings me great pleasure to share this good news with the listener. Our guest, Dr. David Rabin, MD, PhD, is the chief innovation officer, co-founder, and co-inventor at Apollo Neuroscience, Inc. Dr. Rabin is also a board-certified psychiatrist, translational neuroscientist, inventor, and has been studying the impact of chronic stress in humans for more than 10 years. Dr. Rabin organized the world's largest study of psychedelic medicines in collaboration with colleagues at Yale, the University of Southern California, Mount Sinai, Modern Spirit, and MAPS to determine the mechanisms of the dramatic therapeutic benefits observed following psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy in treatment-resistant mental illness. Now, it's likely that by the end of this episode, you're going to want to jump online and grab yourself an Apollo, which I highly recommend. So Dr. Rabin was kind enough to offer a discount for our listeners. Here's what you do. Go to ApolloNeuro.com to get one for yourself. Now, if you enter the code LUKE15 over there, you'll save 15% off. That's apolloneuro.com. And if you know someone who is or has suffered from any form of addiction or mental illness, please do them a favor and share this episode. There are more solutions to these issues than ever, and I'm so grateful to present someone who is leading the charge in the revolution of wellness, Dr. David Rabin. Enjoy the show. All right, here we go. Great to see you again, Dave. Great to see you too. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm super stoked for this conversation. Uh, Your area of expertise is one... Well, many of your areas of expertise are uh, (laughs) of interest to me. And uh, we ran into each other at the Health Optimization Summit in London, or at least at the party there. And you were were over there in your leather jacket. You had a whole cool little vibe going on between you and Dr. Ted. (laughs) I guess like like the coolest and smartest guys in the room, probably. So... (laughs) I didn't get a chance to really, you know, connect with you, so I'm excited we got to do so now, and I'm, you know, forever grateful for the technology that allows for us to do this uh, remotely. As you were planning on coming to LA and coming over to the studio here, so I'm glad we're able to make it happen. Um, give us just to start out with a little bit of your background and your education, your practice, what you're up to these days, and then we'll go ahead and dive into some of the nitty gritty of it.
0: Sure. Uh, so, thank you again for having me. I really appreciate uh, the conversation that you bring to to the public ear, uh, and I I'm really excited for what, you know what we're what we're going to talk about. I'm actually not sure what we're going to talk about, which is why this is even more exciting. <laughs> and uh, but my background is uh, in psychiatry and neuroscience. Uh, I'm a board certified psychiatrist, and I practice in California and Pennsylvania. Um, I see patients. Particularly, who have with a focus on uh, treatment resistant PTSD, depression, anxiety, um, and substance use disorders, Um, mainly because people who just haven't got, don't get, don't seem to get better in response to any treatment has always fascinated me. Um, We, you know, have a medical system that talks about, you know, different out, different treatment options that we are taught as doctors to prescribe to our patients and and I think you know it's really important for us as doctors to take a step back and look at how well are those working um, are they having the outcomes that we want them to have or maybe they're having more side effects than they are positive outcomes and so I think over time I've started I started to see that in in uh, mental mental health um, and so mental health really drew me in because I was interested in why do our treatments not work maybe there's a different way we could be looking at mental illness that could help us to figure out you know how to get to the core of what's going on rather than doing what it seemed like we're doing which is numbing people to their symptoms um, and so all of that kind of came out of my work in uh, in college and graduate school I started doing research uh, with dr. Sally Temple who is one of the original, um, researchers who in... I, think, I believe it was the 70s, uh, discovered in, at Cambridge and, and then moved to Columbia that there were, uh, the adult human brain has neuroplasticity, that we make new neurons in the adult brain, which is a very important thing to understand um, as humans that we continue to regenerate and make new neurons as we get older. Um, and so I worked with her for maybe seven years uh, through college and then I did uh, a few years in med school and then I actually did my PhD with Sally. Uh, in neuroscience, and with a focus on um, aging diseases and chronic stress and resilience, and sort of what makes some of us overcome stress and live, you know, a hundred years without having any deficits or relatively no deficits to our body, and why do some of us, you know, get ill um, and it was and and give and sort of succumb to stress or or and not be able to overcome it, and it happens all the time, and that's what we describe as illness, and so just trying to think of see see the world in. Uh, a way that you know science offered us that maybe we weren't integrating, and then um, in, into our general view of you know what what does it mean to be alive today, right? What does it mean to be well, and what does it mean to be unwell um, or disease, right? Uh, you know the roots of the words that we use are very important, um, and so all of this drew me to psychiatry because psychiatry is really a medicine of language and it's a medicine of of um, just helping figure out any way we can to get better. Um, even if you're already well, psychiatry and psychology are really the focus of how do we explore deeper what is going on in ourselves, you know, any of the conflict potentially between ourselves and our and our inner selves or ourselves, our mind and our body, or however we want to think about it, our families, um, whatever it may be, and just really, you know, dive deep in and knowing that it's just us, there's nothing to be afraid of. And you work through it, you overcome it, and you're better off in the end because we grow from the challenges that we face. And so I really saw psychiatry um, with the advent of psychedelic psychotherapy and the work that was being done by Rick Doblin at MAPS and all of his amazing team, and and also you know Robin Carhart-Harris in London and and many other people, uh, Roland Griffiths, and that work just blew me away. And I said, you know what, psychiatry and studying consciousness through technology and and AI and uh, psychedelic medicine is is you know the future for me and i think this is the future because we can actually use this to help treat people who have these treatment resistant mental illnesses oh man this is going to be a really cool conversation <laughs>
1: i know when i'm just getting an intro for someone and, and oftentimes to be honest i don't even do that i'm just like whatever go read their bio I, you know we're just going to like dive right <laughs> into the meat of it selfishly but i you know i'm i'm trying to be a good interviewer and give people a little bit of context on who you are, uh, for those that are less aware. But uh, as someone who has uh, in-depth experience with mental health issues, PTSD, and very acute addiction for long periods of time, and has tried various means by which to overcome those, um, most of which thankfully have been successful, I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about. And and I also just want to commend you for your Uh, your curiosity and your compassion uh, that drives you to alternative means by which to help people. Because um, I see the type of psychiatry that you're into and the research that you're into as kind of an adjunct to the functional medicine world when it comes to physical health. And that is looking for root causes and, and fixing things systemically rather than based on symptom right so i have heartburn great i can take medicine that stops hydrochloric acid from being produced but it's likely that i don't have enough hcl and that's why i have heartburn you know just as a really simplistic example of how wrong we have it in many many areas of medicine and uh, in my own experience of uh, let's just take some mental health issues that I was having, trying psychiatric medication and getting worse because of it. And that's not to say that it doesn't work for some people some of the time. I'm just not one of them. So I can only speak to my own experience. So I, I commend you and your work. And I'm really excited to uh, talk to someone with as much experience uh, as you do about all of these things. So God, it's one of those like, God, there's so many things to talk about. Where do we start? And of course, please don't let me forget and don't feel uh, you know, like you're plugging your your thing, uh, your your product. But I, we're going to talk about the Apollo 2, which is this device I'm wearing on my ankle right now. Uh, the setting I have, I think, is the social and open program that mm-hmm. I'm running. So We're, we're, we're on done. the same vibe. We're <laughs> going to get into that because this freaking thing is incredible. It works. And as someone who's in... I mean, I'm in a few spaces, I guess, within health and wellness. Um, I'm really more interested in the consciousness and Spirituality and mental emotional health, etc, but I often use biohacking and things like that to get the nervous system and the physicality ready to do that type of work uh, and People send me devices and supplements and stuff all the time, which i 'm very thankful for and a lot of them frankly i don 't really know if they 're working you know it 's kind of like i don 't know there 's so much potential for placebo, and of course there is for this too, but we 're going to get into some of the research you 've done but Whether it's placebo or not, I really don't care. I put this thing on my ankle, and if I'm stressed out, it calms me down. Uh, If I want to have a conversation where I feel like I've had like half a glass of wine and I'm super happy and open and social, which I feel like right now, I'm into it. So we're going to get into that as well. Um, But I do want to get into like really some of the specifics of psychedelic, the clinical use of psychedelics, not my prior use, which was going to dead shows <laughs> and taking copious right. amounts of acid, just to see like how interdimensional I could get listening. Because to- <laughs> um, I have had recent experiences that have been, you know, in the past year and a half or so, that have been so transformative and so healing uh, with plant medicines and even to some degree um, psychedelics and the whole microdosing piece. So there's like so much to unpack. Um, I guess, where do you think would be a good place to start us down the path of, let's just corner clinical psychedelics and their potential for helping with addiction, trauma, mental health issues?
0: Where's a good place to kind of lead us into that conversation? I think that's a great place to start. Um, I think the best way to enter that might be to start with sort of what psychedelic means. You know, I think a lot of us think that based on what we see on TV and what we hear in the public vernacular that psychedelic means crazy 70s dance party, right? But what it or or festivals or concerts or all of these crazy, you know, wild burning man-esque type things. But what psychedelic really means, which is was intentionally chosen as the word to describe this experience, is mind manifesting. Right? So mind manifesting means to it can be interpreted in a number of different ways, but I think the the most Basic way to interpret it that uh from my perspective is it's it's helping facilitate taking things from within our subconscious, so beneath our level of normal awareness, and allowing us to open up our awareness to those things that might typically be beneath our normal awareness, and then manifest or bring those things into our normal awareness, our normal, what we call conscious reality, right? So one example might be you and this can happen whether you're on a, on a on a, a, psychic, a psychedelic medicine like mushrooms or LSD or or um, you know even cannabis or uh, MDMA uh, it can also or ayahuasca it can also happen with meditation it can also happen with yoga with with deep interpersonal experiences like having a great empathic conversation with your friend um, this these kinds of um, you know th- these kinds of man- mind manifesting experiences can happen at any time um, And that's why I think it's so important to understand what that word means. And when we talk about addiction or we talk about mental illness, what we're talking about is patterns of behavior that manifest, that exist in our lives that we develop or practice to cope with trauma or stress over time. Why we develop those patterns? There's a whole host of reasons, right? Some of it's from role modeling from our parents. Or our, or our siblings or our family members. Sometimes it's role modeling from television or music or whatever, right? Or, or the people we see around us in our day-to-day lives. Other times, it's because we were neglected and we had to figure it out on our own, right? Um, there are all these different reasons why we develop the coping strategies that we develop. Sometimes those coping strategies work and they continue to work and we build on them and we grow over time. But sometimes they don't work so well. And then we have to try to figure out what to do and if we can't figure out what to do because we don't have the adequate support around us, then we oftentimes turn those that we, tr- we feel we start to turn that negativity or those negative feelings inward, um, which can lead to feelings of guilt, shame, um, vulner- extreme vulnerability, um, all of these things that are associated at the core of most mental illnesses. And so what happens is as we practice being in that sort of traumatized or shameful guilty state, uh, for you know, moments, to hours, to days, to weeks, to months, to years, to decades, right? what happens is the brain starts to practice training neural pathways. And what happens is for us to be able to feel able to go on, those pathways are centered around and the coping strategies typically tend to be centered around protecting the ego the ego is like that sense of self right that sense of self that says i want x right i want to feel good i want to go to sleep that's that i that sense that strong sense of i is our ego and that ego is represented in the brain by something we call the default mode network and we didn't know about this until probably the last 20 years when we had you know the advent of functional neuroimaging where you can actually it's a it's a very wonderful form of brain scan that doesn't involve any radiation. It's all magnetism. And it's called a functional MRI. And it, it, puts you in a, it, it put, they put you in a very loud machine and then they look at your brain at rest when you're just doing nothing. It's just the basic egoic state and then doing cognitive stress activities. And they find that... And doing psychedelics. And what's interesting... What's, I think is fascinating, some of this work was originally done by uh, David Nutt and Robin Carr Harris at uh, Imperial College of London. And um, what they showed was that there is a the default mode network strengthens with the sense of ego. The sense of self strengthens the default mode network. It strengthens and, and default by literally meaning default when we're not doing anything. This is the network of our brain. This is the way our brain is talking to all of the other different parts of our brain. It's a it's like a loop. As we practice being in that loop, then the loop gets stronger and it becomes easier to follow down that loop. It's like when you're skiing down a slope or snowboarding and you get to the top and all the tracks are already skied out and you just have to follow somebody else's tracks. You follow somebody else's tracks and you just keep doing that all day and it's easy because the tracks are already there. Or you can imagine the alternative with psychedelics, you get to the top of the mountain, right? And then there's 8 feet of powder that just gets dropped on you. And you can choose any way to go. You didn't necessarily have any idea which way to go now. There's no guides, right? Or there's very limited guides. And so you can choose anywhere to go, and you don't have any path that you have to follow. And that's exactly what happens to the brain when we take psychedelics. is We see is profound disruption in default mode network activity, which corresponds directly to how much ego we have or feel. So the less ego we feel, the less strong sense of defensive self we feel, the more oneness and interconnectedness with our environment we feel is has a dose of with things like psilocybin mushrooms. The more you take, the more disruption to follow network activity, the less ego, the more connectedness, right? And so when you think about what that means in terms of healing things like addiction, addiction is just training this loop over and over and over again. Stress, impulse, use, relief. Stress, impulse, use, relief. And then you train this impulsivity over and over and over again. Impulsivity trains impulsivity. And it's just practice. Practice makes perfect. We can be great at being impulsive. We can also be great at being patient, right? And so what psychedelics teach us to do is they just shatter that loop of default activity that's going over and over and over again. And all of a sudden, we're looking at ourselves through completely different lens, through like eight feet of powder kind of lens, like a version of ourselves we might not have seen since we were a child with all the layers of crap stripped off and all the layers of negativity and trauma that change the way we see ourselves. And we have the opportunity to remember who we really are, which helps us move closer and closer towards accessing our full potential by literally manifesting that sense of self that we used to have as children into our current present lives.
1: Wow. Dude, I'm gonna listen back to that excerpt like twenty times. There is so much value in that. I'm like, oh my god, there's a million offshoots. I'm like, okay, I almost
0: started writing it down. I thought, no, trust. (laughs) I know, I know that was a lot. I'm sorry. No, no,
1: dude, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's so, it's so valuable, and there was so much wisdom packed in there. And I really love the analogy of. The ski tracks. I've tried to explain that phenomenon before, and I, you know, in, in layman's terms, because that's my understanding of it, is layman's terms. Um, I'm not actually coming from a, a higher understanding, trying to simplify it. I'm just trying to understand it at all. But as you were describing that, you know, taking the chairlift to the top of the mountain, and then you know, all of the uh, all the runs are already, you know, trampled. I was picturing psychedelics are sort of like getting off the ski lift and going off the back of the mountain <laughs> where no
0: one's skiing. <laughs> exactly right.
1: Yeah, that's the way of perhaps saying that, um, and that's definitely been my experience. And in that cycle of addiction, uh, as I said, having had so much experience with that early in life for a long time, um, it's there's the part that you described where, okay, stress response trigger, uncomfortable feeling. How do I fix this feeling? I reach for that thing, whatever thing happens to resonate resonate with your personality. For me, I was. You know, I like the slow jams. You know what I mean? Like, I want to just get, I want to get into theta or what feels like that. So I was, you know, downers and opiates and cannabis mm-hmm. and things that would just like whoosh, turn the volume mm-hmm. down on everything as quickly as possible. Although I did a lot of other things too, just because in my experience of pain in addiction, being me was so painful that I would change the feeling of. Me into something I didn't like, also because at least it was different than being me. (laughs) So I would do crystal meth or smoke crack, even though I hated it, but it was better than being sober. You know, right? Um, So there's there's that part of the, you know, the the habit and those worn ski tracks and the neural pathways of like, okay, I feel bad. I know how to fix this. The the real tragedy of addiction to me, and I'd love to get your take on this, is when you have some semblance of a moral compass, which I think we all do on some level just inherently as as sentient beings that we know when we're doing something that self-destructive that and also something that in terms of societal norms is, is frowned upon. I mean, no one thinks it's cool to smoke crack or shoot heroin, right? I mean, I guess if right. you're around a bunch of other people doing it, <laughs> right. it, it is the status quo, but by and large, you're doing something wrong, quote, end quotes, right? So in addition to those the habitual uh you know just automatic reaction to grab something to change the way you feel is also the inherent shame every time you do it and when you know you're stuck in that cycle and when i had the awareness especially with heroin specifically i mean that was mm-hmm. not cool by any stretch there wasn't like there was nothing to boast about when i realized i was physically addicted to heroin and so and, it's, and also with crack, I mean, God, talk about like just deep levels of shame, but there's also with addictive behavior, I guess, of any kind too: sex addiction, overeating, mm-hmm. you know, deading, video, gambling, video it's games. like you, yeah, video games, you have this sense of, of hurt, trauma, shame, then you use to change that feeling. And then so ensues even more shame compounded on top of the original shame, which then Uh, necessitates using again to overcome the shame you just created by using. And that cycle is so heartbreaking and and one Mm -hmm. that I know so well and I'm just forever grateful for the spiritual experience that I had and have had since the original awakening that have allowed me to escape that cycle. Um, What's your take on how shame and trauma lead us into addictions and prevent us from getting out because of that mechanism.
0: I mean, I don't think I could sum it up much better than you just did. I think that, you know, what you said is exactly right. And that is the the shame and the guilt afterwards, you know, after a trauma is really the biggest tragedy of this of the thing, right? Because we're all traumatized on a regular basis all the time. I don't think we necessarily think about it that way but if you to really understand trauma let's let's break it down to its most simple element right so what trauma means is it means one or multiple negative intense meaningful experiences right the opposite of trauma healing experiences would be one or multiple positive intense meaningful experiences right so the positive or the negative is solely based on the way that we, as the individual in that experience, interpret it. it. Has nothing to do with what anybody else thinks, and that's the most important thing that people need to know as support following a trauma. However, our society is a little bit backwards in that we don't really teach people about how to deal with trauma. We and what happens is the ignorance ignorance literally meaning we ignore the trauma um, and we ignore how to deal with it. Uh, and that maybe reflecting that maybe we're not dealing with it that, that in that great a way results in us constantly re-traumatizing each other over and over and over again, typically with shame, which is usually in the form of "Why are you doing that? What's wrong with you?" Right? And so the most critical period of a trauma is not the trauma itself, and most most people will agree with this uh, in the in the psychological and psychiatric field. I think you know it's it's the preparation going into it to some extent but most importantly just like with psychedelics it's the integration and support period afterwards right after you have we can't stop a trauma from happening we're not gods in that way we can't prevent negative experiences from ever happening to you or to ourselves but what we can do at the very least is give ourselves give each other and ourselves the support that we need knowing that trauma will happen to overcome it afterwards and what happens is instead of getting that support we get shame we get guilt we get blame that it was us it was our fault for the trauma happening in most cases and people a lot of people don't even do it intentionally when they blame people they you know they victim blame people for what happened and so you know this is just one example but we we see this all the time and that what happens is that that blaming the person who was traumatized just Facilitates whatever whatever little bits and pieces of self hate were there. If none of it was there at that time, it just feeds it like a like a like watering and fertilizing a seed, you know. And it creates this this plant of self hate that grows within us because we believe that we were at fault for our suffering. Which ultimately, the cure for is to do intensive psychotherapy or psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, where you work with a person to bring themselves to a point where they feel safe enough to recognize that. Hey, wait a minute. This wasn't actually my fault, right? This wasn't my fault. I was just doing the best that I could at the time with what I knew. And that was all. That was all I could do. So how can I blame myself, right? And so that is... So So we know that this is what's happening because the process of healing is reversing that. Um, And does that make sense? Wow.
1: (laughs) Dude, does it make sense? You just described my entire childhood. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) God, that's so... You know, it's one of those,
0: you're happy to learn it now, but you'd wish you'd known it a few years ago. Oh my God, I can't even tell you how many things I come across like that. Yeah. (laughs) We'll be right back at you after this brief but important
1: announcement. Are you tired of having a jacked up gut, feeling all gassy and bloated? How about spending tons of cash on supplements and probiotics that don't do anything to help that? Well, imagine a probiotic that actually does what it's supposed to do. When you find the right one, the one that actually works, it's like winning the gut lottery. That's where my friends over at Just Thrive Probiotic come in. They're the first and only 100% all-natural spore form DNA verified and tested probiotic supplement. And as the subject of groundbreaking clinical studies, Just Thrive has demonstrated incomparable effects on the gut and its undeniable connection to the immune system and brain. Because guess what? If your gut isn't working right, neither is your brain. That's where a lot of your neurotransmitters are made, the things that make you feel good and have clarity of mind and all of that good stuff. So get over to thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. That's thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. Enter the code Luke15 to save 15% off your entire order of all of their many great products, including their awesome probiotic. That's thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. The code is Luke15. And now, back to the interview. Of course, in an effort to, to heal and overcome addiction in my own life, I've really had to get down to root causes. You know, if you get into recovery, the real purpose of it, as I'm sure you're aware, is to get down to... What caused the original pain so that that can be healed, so that the need to anesthetize yourself is gone? It's not about abstinence, it's about healing the underlying cause. And unfortunately, a lot of people in recovery and various programs uh, miss that because it seems like, on the surface, and this is what I, you know, the rude awakening that I had after quite a few years sober was that. When an addict is using or drinking or doing whatever behavior they're doing, it seems like their problems and their pain and the shame associated with it are caused by the act of using something habitually, right? And so, intellectually, you get the the, the misconception uh, arises that if you just stop that behavior, then you'll be fine and you won't have these problems anymore, right? Neglecting to uh, identify the actual fact of the matter that you just described—that underneath that there's a reason. Why we feel inadequate or we feel shame, uh, you know lack of self-worth, self-worth self- hatred, et cetera, and so then we use and and, and in getting sober, uh, many of us myself included, have the rude awakening that like cool, I quit using now I'm gonna be happy. <laughs> it's like, uh nope, <laughs> in fact, yeah. um, to me it's it, it was almost like it's like I had a really bad headache, right, and I had been taking copious amounts of like a soul headache. Uh, And I've been taking copious amounts of soul headache aspirin for years and years. uh, And it was effective for a while. And then eventually, uh, the side effects of that aspirin started to outweigh the benefits of relief. And so I stopped thinking that now the headache would be gone. But all that happened was the headache that was there being suppressed by that aspirin now rises to the surface with a raging vengeance. And now I'm left just... And what I used to call untreated alcoholism, you know, which is just serious discontent and confusion and anger. And all of those neural pathways that you described uh, were cut of ways of negative feeling and thinking that I had no way to fix or reverse other than slow and tedious spiritual work by applying spiritual principles and doing everything I could in recovery. But back to your statement before how that cycle begins i find it really fascinating and so enlightening to think about that it's not so much the original trauma that we experience because as you so rightly indicated that is inevitable in the human experience but what happens in the weeks or months following that and so tracing back you know i've had many traumas like so many people have but uh, for me there was uh, sexual abuse when i was uh, 5 or 6 and At that point, my spirit was just broken. You know, it's just things were never the same after that. And that was just the beginning of my downfall. And I, up until doing ayahuasca, actually, last year, I thought that it was that experience that harmed me psychologically, and that, you know, was the root of my the demise that would follow through my adolescence and teen years and into my twenties until I finally was, you know, got help. But what I saw in that plant medicine experience, and perhaps I could have talked to a psychiatrist that could have illuminated this formula for me or gotten some other kind of help. But what I saw, thanks to the medicine, was that in fact, as you just stated so perfectly, that it's that I didn't know how to share that with my parents. There were no authorities I could go to, or I didn't know how. I couldn't talk to teachers about it. And so I just held that. And walked around with that confusion and shame until I was about 14 years old and I was finally for, I mean, essentially incarcerated as a result of my behavior surrounding that. And then it kind of came out and I was able to get some degree of help with it. But I was really able to see that it was in the confusion that was created by that experience and not having the maturity and intellectual prowess to contextualize that in a way to see that it that it wasn't me that was wrong or dirty or shameful or whatever stories I I I, I built around that in order to cope with it, um, that was what the problem was. You know, I mean, sure, it wasn't great for me to have that experience. I'm sure it was very damaging and there was a scar left there spiritually, emotionally, mentally. But it really was, um, you know, revealed to me through ayahuasca that it was the subsequent years following that that I walked around with that that really. Deteriorated my mental health to the degree that I had to be, you know, self-medicated twenty-four-seven until I was twenty-six years old, basically. So, say you take a kid, um, and you know, I apologize to the audience. Sometimes I talk a lot, but <laughs> sometimes these are interviews, sometimes they're conversations, you know. So, I guess those listening will understand this one's a conversation because I just have to unpack things in this way because I have I have so much personal experience in these topics um, so forgive me for being long-winded also but um, say you take a, a kid who's six years old and experiences that type of trauma and there is the framework of awareness within the family the trust in the family the dynamics are healthy enough within that family where there's open communication and um, you know a framework wherein that kid has a parent to go to or you know an elder or authority to go to, What's the perfect scenario of coping with that trauma at an early age that can avoid leading down the path of self-destruction and inevitably,
0: possibly, uh, death? You know, which is where right. addiction ends up. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. I'm really glad you asked that, and I really appreciate you being so open about your own past experiences. I mean, you know, the work that you've done to change your life is incredible. And I truly commend you for it. and I and I'm so happy that you're sharing you you're sharing this with everyone so they can hear that there's hope for them to also overcome their trauma. You know I think that's what's that that more than anything, is hope is the most powerful medicine. I, you know that if more than anything that anyone could take home from this uh, podcast is that hope is the most powerful medicine. We have lots of names for it. Sometimes we call it placebo, sometimes we call it, Whatever, but hope is hope that and belief belief that we can get better, um, belief that we can change, belief that we can be different. And I think what belief turns into over time, which I think, and, and going back to your question, what you you know, what is that what is that environment look like? What that environment looks like is an environment that is radically accepting mm-hmm. and radically non judgmental, right, right? And that is not that is not impossible. It's actually quite simple. It just needs to be taught as something that's important, and it will happen Uh, because the one most wonderful thing about radical acceptance and radical non-judgment and radical self-reliance and all many of the principles that Burning Man actually um, incorporates, which I I, I really appreciate uh, about them, is that they're free, (laughs) right? And so these are things: gratitude, right? Gratitude is free it is a skill and one of the most enjoyable feelings that we could possibly have and it's free and the more that we are taught that that's important the more that we have the opportunity to overcome challenges that face us and i think that's what this is all really about is that it's about us understanding as humans what does it actually mean to be a human right to be a human means that we are the most adaptable creatures that have ever walked the face of this Earth. There has never been, from what we can determine, a more adaptable creature that has survived more craziness, speaking of what's going on right now in the world, and that has survived more threats to extinction and more threats in general than humanity and humans, right? Our skill is not stability, it's adaptation. And so when we accept that our true skill, our, true, our truest strength as a, as a species is adaptation, and that's what has put us at the top of the, of the food chain, as it were, um, then what it also helps us understand is that challenge is there on purpose to make us better. We all know people in our lives who have never been challenged or threatened by anything, right? What do those people look like and act like? Fragile. Right, and they don't typically have that many skills that are valuable because they haven't been forced to develop them, Um, and they don't necessarily have a lot of meaning from their lives. This isn't. This is. You know, I don't want to broadly generalize, but the point because because these people who truly are never challenged are actually very rare. I mean, the the idea is that we're all challenged, and these challenges can come in any form that we can't predict. Like we were talking about earlier, trauma comes, and we can't really predict how it's going to come or what it's going to look or smell like. We can all we can do is deal with it when it comes in the most constructive way possible, which ideally is understanding it as an opportunity for growth. And I think that is the single biggest thing that's lacking, one of the single biggest things that's lacking in our education, other than empathy, um, which is um, understanding that challenge is not a why me opportunity, it's an opportunity for growth. And if we understand it as an opportunity for growth and we jump on it, then we ultimately become much stronger and much more resilient, and much closer to our fullest version of ourselves. But our environment has to foster that. And then, so going back to your question, you know, I think that's where the family—the importance of the family dynamic—comes in. Is that a family dynamic that fosters radical non-judgment and radical uh, self, radical acceptance, and and these things that we're talking about—empathy and sharing—and a place where people can talk about these kinds of things, understanding that it's not something to be judged; it's something to work through in, the, in a, you know, a constructive way to try to help everyone feel better, you know, that's what kind of shifts the outcomes more than anything else.
1: Wow. You know I just had a realization uh, which was illuminated by that statement and that is that that's a huge part of why 12-step groups are so effective. I mean, comparatively speaking. I mean, we can leave aside perhaps the psychedelic path, which we're gonna we're gonna get into a bit more. I um, mean, I don't have experience like escaping a life of addiction with psychedelics, like I know many people have. But um, in the model of of the twelve steps in general, as a teaching, uh, you have a group of people that have one sole purpose, and that is to save their own ass. And they know how they do that is they have to become honest with themselves, and then honest with another group of people that have shared. Uh, a very similar, if not the exact same predicament, right? So I've escaped this predicament. This is why I did it. This is how I did it. This is how I'm doing it. I'm coming clean here in this group full of people and inherent to most of those groups, regardless of what the particular affliction is that they're focused on, uh, involve the main premise of unconditional love, uh, reciprocity, empathy, compassion, and that there's no agenda or anything required of you other than your participation and your ability to kind of behave yourself and you know not interrupt the process for other people and it's it's in that energy field of unconditional love and as you said radical acceptance that a guy like me can walk in a room and go holy shit I'm safe I can finally let my guard down and be vulnerable and talk about you know my inner life in a way that is difficult to do in in most other surroundings in one's life, apart from perhaps having, you know, a really healthy family that's practicing that type of dynamic or seeing psychiatrists like you where I can let my guard down and really open up my my inner experience for examination with someone else, right? Um, do do you have kids? Not yet. Business babies. Yeah, yeah. Business babies
0: first. And then, yeah, and, then yeah. and then perhaps uh, real babies. <laughs>
1: yeah nor do I uh but I'm you know for 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 those who do have kids, and I'm sure there's books about this and experts about this, but I'm just imagining you know the idea where you have kids and the environment uh in your home is accepting enough and safe enough uh, and preemptively prepared for possible traumas of whatever type might arise uh you know in the experience of your kid that that kid then does have a safe place where they can go and tell their parent anything without being shamed or condemned. And when, and if they do experience trauma of some kind, whether it's just a bully at school or some, you know, uh, a more serious transgression like sexual abuse or something like that, where there is a way for them to um, unravel that in a safe place and perhaps heal it on the spot or in, in short order, rather than that having something that manifests at 35 years old as a freaking sex addiction or, you know, gambling problem or something way later in life, where you're like, God, I don't know why I'm doing this while well, you're doing it because there wasn't a place for you to take that initial trauma. So I think it's a really exciting, you know, development in terms of our evolution where people that do have kids can start to create that sort of environment where it doesn't have to turn into this cyclical family dynamic that continues on generationally, this handing off of trauma from you know one generation to the next which is you know god bless my parents and and all of my you know ancestors and I love them all and uh, and all of that but that that's been on both sides of my family quite prevalent and I think um, you know perhaps my parents were the first generation eventually to really stop that cycle and now we're all on the other side of that and um, one could hope that um, the next generation to follow, between me or my brothers or whomever else, will be under this new model where, sure, trauma happens, but we're 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 better equipped to deal with it on the spot before it right. you know, turns into pathology.
0: Right. And I and I think you really hit the nail on the head. You know, I think the idea is also, um, you know, taking it one step further. I think let's what what perhaps we could all deal with trauma uh, better if we also understood the power of language and some of the more ancient tribal tools, right? So gratitude is a particularly interesting tool. I mentioned it earlier because it's just so important and it forms the foundation of what we call the four pillars, uh, which are critical to tribal plant medicine in South America, um, but they're also used all over the world in traditional Hindu yogic medicine and uh, Buddhist medicine. Um, and the four pillars take usually some form of gratitude, forgiveness, forgiveness, compassion, and self-love, all directed as a practice and skill towards the self. And when we practice all of these four things directed towards ourselves, what we learn is we build and strengthen this foundation of trust within ourselves to allow ourselves to feel safe enough to be grateful for the opportunity to be challenged. Right? So wow, what the opposite... So the opposite of that is what we're experiencing right now is that we are constantly perceiving ourselves to be under threat. Not all of us, but a lot of us, no matter what lifestyle we live in, particularly today where we have an active COVID-19 outbreak you know, in the, in the US and, and the US isn't you know, necessarily quarantining people or providing safety equipment the way that we thought they might uh, the, and the government might be helping us. And so this is very stressful. It's stressful for everyone. Literally, no one is spared, but as long as you have access to any kind of media, no one is spared by the threat of the stress that's going on in the world right now. This is happening to everyone on top of all the other stress that we have already. So what, what the option comes before us anytime that we're facing any stress is really one choice. Do we choose to escape from this feeling of unpleasantness as quickly as possible? Or do we choose to engage it with gratitude? Right? And that's really the only choice. The the human brain is not good at making choices that have more than two choices (laughs) or two options. I'm sorry. So what what really works the best is when we can break things down, which is called reductionist. We break things down into two things, two options. Escape, engage. Right? Problem shows up, what do we do? We can escape or we can engage. The thing is that when you understand that what those two choices are, and you actually think through what the consequences of each one might be. What we ultimately find is, as you found, is that there is no escape. Right? So escape is a is a is a figment of our imagination. Um, that there is no escape. This is where we are, and this is who we are for the time that we're here on this earth. And so all we can do with medicine, if we try to escape, is to really just numb or distract ourselves from the root of the problem that is causing us suffering. The alternative is, and this could be started at any time, I would argue, not just with your children, but you can start this for yourself right now with anything that you're struggling with, is to make the choice of saying, instead of going to use... Instead of going to smoke a cigarette or smoke uh, a you know, crack pipe or... Uh, take a, an opioid or watch net binge on Netflix because I'm feeling like crap today. I am going to be grateful for these crappy feelings. I'm going to be grateful for the frustration and anger that I'm feeling right now. And I'm going to take that energy. I'm going to put it into something that actually makes me better. It could be exercising. It could be working out. It could be making a diet meal plan for yourself. It could be learning to cook. It could be learning to, to grow your own food. It could be ler- doing learning or doing literally anything about yourself or to contribute back to yourself. And it all stems from that foundation of gratitude. And so that is the fundamental choice that we all have to make um, in the process of healing. It's not just from addiction. It's just in the process of healing in general. And I think Apollo going back to Apollo, what Apollo does is Apollo helps us feel safe enough to bring that gratitude back into our lives by centering us in our bodies. So it's similar to what to breath. Paying attention to our breath when we take an intentional breath automatically sends a signal to our brain that says, I'm safe enough to pay attention to this breath right now, right? And so if that signal happens Uh, as soon as you start to feel it, right? It's a feedback. Yeah yeah that's interesting. It's not like the body's not complicated. We think it's complicated but it's not that complicated. It's a duality. It's it's threat and safety. Safety is everything that makes us feel good and thrive in our lives, creativity, digestion, reproduction, sleep and re- energy recovery, all of that good stuff that makes our lives rich and enjoyable. And then the the opposite, the fear side, the threat side is responsible for just keeping us alive so we can enjoy life, right? So that part is supposed to shut down when we are in a safe environment. But the problem is when we're constantly threatened or constantly overstimulated by our environment, we constantly perceive threat. And then our recovery system, that that safety system, shuts down or can't fully turn on. That's when we start to manifest illness over time. So gratitude and the practice of the four pillars are this old, old way, probably thousands of years old, that uses language uh, to describe skills that help us to self-improve that we can use on a daily basis, Apollo is a way to help facilitate that without requiring much practice because we've been so disconnected from these skills for so long that strapping on a wearable is actually a lot easier for us now than intentionally practicing gratitude or practicing deep breathing because we're just so cut off from that part of our culture and ourselves. So Apollo is sort of our way of trying to bridge the gap of Eastern and Western medicine to provide a way for people to access these altered states of healing in a much more accessible and simple and affordable way. We'll be
1: right back at you after this brief but important announcement. Man, I love our sponsor, Blue Blocks. You can find them at blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X. These guys are changing the game when it comes to blue blocking eyewear. They've got all different shades for different uses, whether it be computer, TV, working in the daytime, working at night, want to get that melatonin cranked up before bed. What's really cool is they offer a range from non-prescription to standard glasses you can order from their site, or prescription or readers with free worldwide shipping. And what's really dope is now they have this epic send in your own frame service. So you could send in some old prescription glasses or even sunglasses, and they're going to turn them into blue blockers for you. It's like magic. They also have a really cool product called the Remedy Sleep Mask. It is an amazing 100% blackout sleep mask, and it comes with adjustable straps and fits all face shapes and sizes with zero eye pressure and complete darkness, also with worldwide shipping. So you can get rid of that old trashy sleep mask they gave you on the airplane a while ago, you know the one, and get yourself the Optimal Remedy Sleep Mask from Blue Box. So again, get over to blueblocks.com that's b l u b l o x, enter the code lifestyleist at checkout and save 15% off your order. That's blueblocks.com and the code is lifestyleist. And now back to the interview. Due to the fact that right now I'm as I sit in my my home studio at my desk here, I've got my my feet up. I'm feeling pretty chill and I have this Apollo on my ankle and As I said earlier, the setting I used was the the uh, open and sociable, I think it was social and open, yeah. Social and open. And um, it it's kind of a continual, just to give people an idea of what I'm experiencing, it's like a continual kind of hum buzz vibration that just kind of just goes in waves and it just sort of feels like you have your your you know, your leg against something that has a motor or something like (laughs) that. You know, just kind of a humming and like uh, that little guy behind you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Um, it is very calming, and I'm. I'm curious about what you just described to me, and and let me know if I'm off here. But okay, say at one point I had. Let me think of a good example. Okay, so I got a good one for you. It's very tangible. Uh, throughout my life, for whatever reason. Karma karma would be kind of my guess. Uh, I used to have a very adversary relationship with dogs. As you see, I've got a great one behind me now. We're best Mm -hmm. friends. It's all good. Uh, But earlier in life, you know, I was bit by a German shepherd. My dad used to have this, I think it was an Australian, you know, herding dog, sheep dog used to chase me around because I thought Mm. I was a cow or something. (laughs) And uh, it it wasn't trying to hurt me, but I didn't know that at the time. It it just terrorized me and chased me down the driveway on the way to the school bus and whatnot. Uh, And then when I was 26, I got bit on the face by a Rottweiler. Still have the scars to prove it. And, um, you know, which eventually led to my sobering up because I was drunk, being a dumbass, which is why the dog bit me. Um, So having those experiences with dogs, I used to have this thing, and I still have it a little bit sometimes, but I think it's being healed probably just from being around one for a couple of years. But uh, I would have this response that, If I would hear a dog bark or if one came near me, I would get stuck in this like limbic system trauma loop where I would get, you know, my, my limbic system would get activated as in like, you know, I don't remember which part of the brain it is that does this. I'm sure you know, but it's like the amygdala goes warning, warning, danger, danger. You've seen this before, Mm -hmm. even though there's not a real threat. It reaches back into time and remembers a similar situation and prepares mm-hmm. me in the same way as if that same threat is going to uh, un- unravel as it did before, right? Mm-hmm. And even though in reality it's not, the dog's way across the street, it's behind a fence, whatever. Um, and that's you know a pedestrian example, but let's take it a step further in a way that's perhaps more meaningful. Let's say uh, in a past relationship. Um, of any kind, I was around someone who was very um, combative, angry, verbally abusive, very reactive, and mm-hmm. they hurt my feelings emotionally. And I had to walk on eggshells around them and be hyper vigilant. And now I get around someone who's not like that at all, and they don't text me back. I mean, I'm, I'm like speaking from real life here, trying to act like I'm not. You know, <laughs> I know this guy who had this happen, <laughs> <laughs> but no, this has been my experience, and it and it yeah. is. And largely through psychedelics, actually. Um, but uh, and then that person doesn't text me back, and I think, oh, they're mad at me. I'm in trouble. We're going to have a fight. There's drama. There's an issue. And then later that day, I talk to them, and I'm like, "Are you pissed?" And they go, "What are you talking about? You're nuts. Yeah. Everything's fine." And the way that I've, you know, just based on a bit of studying and kind of understanding this is that because of past experiences of trauma, the brain. You know, activates like that, and the amygdala goes danger, danger. And then, even though there's not, you can't get yourself out of it because you can't like rationalize to that part of your brain and tell it to shut up and calm down. Like, hey, amygdala, chill. We're fine. The dog's behind the fence. The girlfriend's not mad. Your boss isn't pissed at you. Whatever. The client's not going to fire you. They just didn't return your email that fast. It's like no matter how much I try to rationalize that there still is that fight or flight response. And in a guy like me, I, you know, it's gotten much, much better. But with certain things, uh, once that fight or flight is activated, it could go on for hours. Right. Even though nothing in reality is actually wrong at all. So right. does this Apollo have the ability then to uh, signal to the brain that you're okay and prevent you from going into a fight or flight response or to bring you out of one uh, in short order if
0: you were to put it on you know, after such an event. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or both. Or to even prevent that response. And so I think what, what you're describing is the way that most of us feel a lot of the time in response to little things because we are so stressed that the more stressed out we are, the more we what we call um, misappropriate threat or we, we accidentally interpret something as threatening when it's not. By threatening, I mean actually threatening to our survival, like could actually kill us or seriously harm us or our families in a very significant way. We're very rarely actually exposed to that degree of threat. Um, so what happens is these little things start to trigger our system over time, and it triggers a, a feeling, these feelings of lack of safety. And so what Apollo does It's effectively... And just so everybody knows, Apollo is a wearable. Um, I'm wearing one right here as well. Um, And what it does is it vibrates at frequencies that we developed in the lab at the University of Pittsburgh. Um, And we found that these frequencies when tested in double-blind randomized placebo-controlled trial showed that we could reliably improve heart rate variability within three minutes under stress by sending these gentle layered frequencies of vibration that feel kind of like an ocean wave or a cat purring next to your body or somebody giving you a hug or holding your hand, um, that we send these signals to the body and they activate that safety response system through the body. Um, and what happens is when you activate that system at a time where the body is triggered towards threat, if the body, if we're not actually threatened, it sends one of those signals to the brain, just like with deep breathing, that says, if I have the time to pay attention to this feeling on my leg right now then I know I'm not actually threatened, right? Just like deep breathing. If I have time to feel, intentionally feel, the air coming into my nose and down my throat, and into my lungs, and then in, and then all the way out. If you have time to do one of those full breath cycles, and actually, even if it's just five seconds, and actually pay attention to that feeling, then you're not, you cannot be running from a lion. It would be impossible. You would die, right? So the body knows that. And so the, and the body knows that also through the sense of touch. The sense of touch is one of the most powerful and ancient ways that we have conveyed safety to one another and that mammals convey safety to one another in lots of different species. And so Apollo, we figured out in the lab through studying um, the meditation literature and biofeedback literature and an enormous amount of literature on human touch and music and um, the neuroscience of all these different areas and found that there's a, there, there are certain rhythms in common that the body really likes that make the body... Or, or I should say not make, but they help facilitate the body entering into a calmer state. A calmer, clearer, more focused, more... Really, if there's any single word to describe it, it's a more present mindful state. And this present mindfulness, being in the present, grounding ourselves into our bodies, Instantly reminds us that we're safe because we have the time to pay attention to our bodies, even if that's just a subconscious feeling. It gives us the poise and the opportunity to not set our, ourselves up, you know, off in a in a situation where we don't need to be, and we end up making better decisions. People perform better under stress mentally and physically, and we've done these studies. and Apollo also has uh, been demonstrated. In our preliminary results from a meditation trial of fifty people, that we were actually able to make not or, or uh, help non-meditators' brains, as measured by EEG electroencephalogram brainwave studies, um, to look like experienced meditators' brains within twelve minutes with Apollo, wow. uh, which is really fascinating. Because <laughs> yeah, what is yeah. what is meditation? Meditation is allowing ourselves when you've never meditated. It's allowing ourselves to feel safe enough. To be vulnerable with our own thoughts and with our own selves, right? And that can be really hard when we've never done that before. We've never been taught that that's okay. And so Apollo helps increase the safety signals in the body so that when those negative thoughts come, you can be mindful of them and actually practice acknowledging the thought, not attaching anything to it, and just kind of letting it go, right? And that practice of being, which is the practice of being centered in our bodies, being centered in the present. And all of that facilitates, over time, the learning of how to meditate and how to get ourselves into those states more effectively on our own. So the technology not only helps us get there and helps us stay there, but it helps us feel it and understand what that feeling of feeling good in a stressful situation feels like and feeling agency and autonomy and the ability to be in charge of our own decisions at any moment. And once you feel that, you, you'll do anything you can to figure out how to feel that all the time on your own without Apollo. So over time, people's use of it changes and evolves and it's really fascinating.
1: So unlike using another exogenous source of relief, uh, let's say, oh, I'm stressed out, so I'm going to take a few bong rips. Right. And inherent to that is dependency because I'm still looking for something outside of myself and I'm not learning how to self-regulate by smoking weed or doing OxyContin or whatever, right? Right. It's Mm -hmm. like I'm still actually just going to increase my dependency on it over time because I've learned nothing I haven't earned anything through that means of uh, seeking relief whereas with the Apollo from what I'm understanding because that's what I would think too like am mm-hmm. I just screwed if I don't have this thing on my ankle then you know so we're in in essence learning how to achieve that state on our own because we're learning how to identify, Uh, That felt sense of being and Mm -hmm. learn how to activate or facilitate that experience within ourselves. And then eventually... So then are you putting yourself out of business then? Because people are like, okay, I had this Apollo thing on the different settings for six months. I use it every day. Now I learned how to (laughs) self-regulate. I was in a drawer or something like that.
0: I mean, originally that was something that we were we were theoretically worried about. This is like many years ago. But then (laughs) it worked too well. But then what we realized is the beauty of of what we're doing is that we have access to state-of-the-art AI, right? And so what is state-of-the-art AI really good for? Learning about you and then iterating for you based on what we know about you. So if we look at how you use Apollo over time, and this is something that right now we're in the listening phase of AI. So I think a lot of people don't understand about artificial intelligence, uh, the process of development is you create a theory. It starts with creating a theory about how you think things work. So we know a lot about the body. We know about about from our studies and our case studies, the way the body responds to stress and the way the body responds to stress with Apollo, etc., etc., in all these different conditions. And by the way, Apollo is used for seven major uh, things. So, um, uh, energy and wake up is for is basically like caffeine or or a brief like boost of energy. Social and open is supposed to feel kind of like MDMA, like it's a very positive, heart opening, heart warming social <laughs> experience. <laughs> you um, just
1: honestly <laughs> with that one alone, if it just had that, I'm in because my interviews have been so bomb. Every I put it on the <laughs> 120 minute social and open every time I do an interview now, and it's like. I'm going, dude. How can I? It takes me a minute to hit empathy with people yeah. and uh, nonverbal communication and the flow of it. It's depending on my mood sometimes and the, mm. and the energy of the other person. You know, as right. they're reciprocating what I'm putting out and all of that. Um, sometimes it's challenging. It takes a bit of work, and I find like, and uh, you know, I'm not trying to be like a you know cheesy commercial here. I just when I like something, I'm honest about it. Um, but that particular setting, it does. And in fact, earlier today. I was trying to describe on an Instagram live what that setting feels like, and I said, "You know what? It kind of feels like MDMA light. It does. It's like I do feel very like open and empathetic and just kind and you know like I want to connect with people. It's really weird.
0: So what Uh, it is is is, yeah. So what it what that is and what you're describing is we figured out in the lab that there are certain frequencies from other people's work that built a foundation before us, and then from our own testing, there are certain rhythmic patterns. That help nudge the body into the mind and the body into a state of feeling present and clear and wakeful—all the things we want in a social situation, but not in our own heads in the moment. Right? I could instead, if you were to put on the um, meditation frequency, the meditation frequency is a different setting that we found that we used in that meditation trial I told you about that actually helps attention turn inward into the body. Right. So if you use that in a social situation, that what we have heard from people that's kind of interesting is it makes people sometimes more self-conscious than they thought they would be. Why? Because they're not present in the moment and they're more centered in their bodies and they're not in that sort of empathic heart open state. Whereas with the social and open frequencies, those frequencies tend to correlate with these states of what you described, which is this more um, attention is more outside of the body. It's more in the environment, which includes other people. It includes right. that sort of empathy rather than a deep introspective self-work state. right? Okay. And so by changing these patterns in the way that you see in the app, so uh, energy and wake up, social and open, clear and focus is kind of like amphetamines, um, light, amphetamine light, um, and then re- uh, recover, re- rebuild and recover is like jumping in a hot tub after a workout um, or an intense stressor. It just rapidly brings the body back into homeostasis. Um, and reduces heart rate and blood pressure under stress. And then the uh, three after that are the relaxing and more introspective in, uh, frequencies, which are meditation, mindfulness, uh, relax and recharge, and then sleep and renew. And so all of these seven settings kind of allow people, they're not gonna force you or push you into, they're not gonna force you or make you go into a state. If you resist, it's like, you know, you're not, if you drink coffee before you go to bed, you're not gonna sleep very well. Right there. If you if you drink if you take a sleepy time tea in the morning, you're not going to wake up very well. Right? You have to be aligned with your your actions have to be aligned with your uh, intention and your goals. And so what Apollo does is it's basically in simplest terms music that I compose based on neuroscience of music and and touch for your skin rather than for your ears. That just helps nudge the body and the mind into a more present state for whatever activity is that you choose to be doing. Cool! Wow, I'm I've, I've, you
1: know I'm forever grateful at the opportunity I have to uh, get firsthand, you know, experience and and lessons in these things. It's just I'm just so stoked to do what I do. I just take a moment of gratitude. It's like I would be a guy that found this online. Someone would send me a link. I would buy it. And I would read the FAQ. I'd watch a couple videos, and if I had questions, I might email customer service. They would send me kind of a canned answer, a pre-written piece of copy, and I'd just be kind of left to figure it out. Um, So I just feel so fortunate to get to experiment with things like this and talk to the chiefs, you know, that are really at the forefront of uh, of these uh, innovations. And. I have to say, also, in addition to liking this one a lot, and I use the wake up one because I'm a slow waker, you know, but um, too. because of what's been going on recently and uh, things have just slowed down, no one's coming over to the house. Um, I'm here with my girlfriend, thank God, or I'd be losing <laughs> shit completely. But um, we're we having a great time. Um, you know, th- I mean, we can order food in. As long as that happens, we're, we're, we're good. <laughs> we're not going to kill each other as shut ins. But I've been waking up and doing something that I'm a huge proponent of and have lacked the discipline to do at different times. And that's sun gazing and doing my breath work at dawn, right? If I Mm. do that, I'm pretty much guaranteed to have a good day. So I do that and then I come home and and meditate. And I've been a Vedic meditator for many years. And um, up until a few months ago when I found the work of Joe Dispenza and started really digging into that and went to his week-long intensive and started doing like the Joe Dispenza meditations, which are Mm -hmm. guided. Which I always thought were, I always thought guided meditations were for novices and sort of prided myself in being able to follow a tradition from India and like meditate the real way, um, quote unquote. Uh, but anyway, I really like these dispensa meditations and they're quite long. They're an hour to sometimes an hour and a half. Some of them, the ones that you do at four in the morning, the pineal ones are like four hours. Wow. Uh, and when I get back from the sun gazing, I put on that meditation one, and like this morning I did it. The the Apollo put it on my ankle, made sure it was charged. When I got back to meditate, I put on my Joe Dispenza thing, and dude, I go into like the deepest <laughs> meditation imaginable without being asleep. Right. And uh, you might look at me and think I'm asleep, but I am just in the sweetest spot of theta. I would say where my body's asleep but my mind's slightly awake right in other words if somebody said something across the room i would hear them but barely Mm -hmm. you know and that's the state that i find that i really have the most uh relief of stress and also just the most quiet mind yeah and the most insights the downloads come the ideas come it's from there that i can really envision my day envision my life i can Actualize goals and I can manifest, and like that's where the magic happens for me. And um, I think I'm fairly skilled at it just through repetition and practice over the years on my own. But like the combination of those two things for anyone listening, like <laughs> if you're someone who has a hard time meditating, download a couple of the Dispensa MP3s, <laughs> which are they're really expensive, they're like 15 bucks a pop on his site or something. I, I meant to ask him about that when I interviewed him, I'm like, really, dude. 15 bucks for one meditation, damn, you know, but hey, on the other, you got some skin in the game though. It's like, if you drop 15 bucks on an MP3, you're going to listen to it, which I have every one. Um, but the combination of the Apollo on the meditation setting and that Mm -hmm. after doing some breath work and sun gazing, dude, I am having the best days ever. (laughs) Meanwhile, the world is crumbling around me, you know, seemingly. Um, so anyway, huge fan of that one. Uh, and then the energy one I'll put on after I meditate because I'm pretty groggy coming out of that experience, plus just getting up that early, which mm-hmm. I'm not quite used to. Uh, but the energy one, I'll be damn. I've tested it, um, like not drinking coffee, not taking my cold shower. And I just do that on the natch. And when I'm really groggy and I just see, all right, let me see if this shit does anything. And I put the energy in whatever went on. And um, lo and behold, 15 minutes later, I'm like, goddamn, I'm actually <laughs> super awake and alert. It's weird. I can't, I'm like, I can't believe... So kudos to you for inventing something that actually works and does well, what you. it says it's gonna do. Because a lot of this stuff doesn't really do anything, frankly. In the in the tech right. world, you know, I like the Aura Ring. You know, it's effective and useful. Uh, there's a few other things around, but out of a lot of things I've tried, I have like kind of a junk drawer for tech biohacking stuff and then people send me stuff and it just sits in there and I don't want to sell it because someone gave it to me. <laughs> so right. I don't know what to do with it. And I don't want to give it away because I'm like, I'm not going to give it away to a
0: friend of mine because it doesn't work. Or it'll be oh, really you know, good I have, a good, use. I, something. I have yeah. a good use for that, Luke. If what? you ever have any of that extra biohacking stuff you want to get rid of, just send it my way and we okay. will put that stuff to good use. All right, I will. <laughs> Consider I will. it a donation. Donation yeah. to the cause.
1: I actually literally do. The other day, I cleaned out my, my work office uh, closet here, and I found a bunch of these old PMF devices and just different things that I, I liked <laughs> for a while, and then I found something better or whatever. Yeah. One other thing I you know I want to give you uh, kudos for on this is uh, having the ability to turn the Bluetooth off once you mm-hmm. activate the particular uh, journey or you know mm-hmm. that you want to do. I'm forever frustrated by people that come up with products uh, that are intended to provide health benefits that also fry you with EMF. <laughs> I'm, mm-hmm. I'm almost like, why you guys? Like, it's not that hard to, you know, if you have to activate something using Bluetooth, to have a setting where you can turn it off. And also, a lot of for this is for all the entrepreneurs out there that want to invent a health or biohacking product. Also, a lot of them produce incredible amounts of blue light. And so you can't use them at night, which is equally as annoying. So I've like hacked all of my devices by putting the true dark red tape over everything. Uh, because what good is a device if it screws with your melatonin in your sleep? So mm-hmm. that's my rant on
0: you know, not thought out technology design. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, thank you. And we yeah. really tried to make something that would we really, I mean, I think that the, the test with all of this is that we listen to our customers. You know, we didn't. We we have not made technology before. Um, Apollo is a labor of love from my wife Catherine and I to the world um, to try to just help make things a little better for people and, and in the, any way we can. And it's been an incredibly incredibly difficult task to bring a product to market. And so the w- only way that we could do it was to ask people like you, you know, to try our technology and tell us what you think and how we can make it better and what you would want to see it do and and all of those things and. We, you know, we didn't know about EMF when we started this process to the extent that we do now. But in large part, thanks to Tim Gray's Health Optimization Summit, you know, we learned so much about EMF yeah. that we have put the airplane mode into the Apollo app on purpose because we really think that that's important to address. Um, and I think that a lot of other apps should do it too. And I really appreciate that the Aura Ring does it as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, you know, it's one extra step. Sometimes I forget to do it on my aura ring and, you know, listen, is it the end of the world? If I have Bluetooth on my finger a few nights, like whatever you're... Right. I realize we're all going to check out eventually. Yes, <laughs> you know, so It's like, I'm not right. one of these guys that's trying to live until I'm 300 or something. I, you know, I just would prefer to not suffer while I'm here. Um, and, you know, right. prolonged use of Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and all of these things uh, is not good. So, you know, why add it if you don't have to? Um, right. Before we get into some of this other content around psychedelics, I'm just having so much fun here. So, um, you know, thank you for humoring me with so much time. And if at any point you're like, "Dude, I gotta go," <laughs> just let me know because I, I have can... I have four minutes. Yeah, really?
0: Yeah. Okay. okay well... Good. But we can't because i I have to I have to use the little boys' room before the for my next meeting, but okay, okay. We, we if you want we can we can do this again uh, let's do it well, happy to yeah, let's do it well um actually, you know maybe we could
1: i wonder what we could I wonder if we could do like a either we do a part two or we just do a continuation of this one um But then I'd have to like make everything look the same, and we'd have to wear the same clothes and all that. You know, it's Hollywood continuity. You know, Um, no, you know, you know what? What you know what we'll do is um, we'll go ahead and just wrap this one up, and then I'll just have you come back on, and we'll do an adjunct to this conversation because I really do want to get into like specifically, you know, how do you Mm -hmm. work with LSD? What's up with these ketamine journeys and Mm -hmm. IVs and my recent experience doing a a session with the, a one-on-one journey with the healer where I did MDMA and mushrooms, it was one of the most incredible experiences of my freaking life. I, I got so much accomplished in that few hours uh, and all of the other things, nootropics and microdosing and you know neurofeedback. And I want to talk about psych meds and whether, when and if they're valid and useful and all kinds of different stuff. So um We'll shut her down and I'll, I'll let you get on to your next appointment and go to the bathroom. I think this was a really good introduction to your work and also, you know, turn people on to the Apollo and whatnot. And uh, uh, in closing, I'm just going to ask you my classic question, which I remember most of the time, and that is Who have been three teachers or teachings
0: that have influenced you and your work? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I would uh, That's It's a tough one. I I mean, I would say the easiest way for me to answer that question is with the teachings. I've had a lot of teachers who have been incredibly important as mentors to me over the years. Um, I think one of the the two most important have been my parents. Um, And I'm so grateful for uh, them You know, helping to make up for some of the gaps that I think I I would not have made... The gaps that I had from school that I would not have figured out how to make up for on my own. I wouldn't even have thought about what to do, um, but I think the main teachings that I've taken with me from my parents and also from my studies of tribal medicine and and psychedelic medicine and psychology and psychiatry are really you know these these teachings of gratitude and forgiveness and compassion and self love and I think you know the, where the neuroscience comes into that is that. Um, Eric Kandel, who discovered and won the Nobel Prize for discovering the mechanisms of learning and memory in 2002, um, also basically discovered the way that we learn is practice makes perfect. right? So the more that we practice anything, whether that's gratitude or compassion or forgiveness or self-love, or whether that's anger and ruthlessness or aggression or or self-hate or what have you, the more you practice any of those things, the better you get at them. So the more of our precious limited time on this earth that we can spend practicing things that help us, like gratitude, and self-forgiveness, and self-compassion, and self-love, as much as we possibly can practice those things in our lives, then the closer to our fullest, happiest, most fulfilled, whole versions of ourselves that we can be. And again, I think the most exciting part of all that is it's free. So you can start today. Absolutely, thank you for that.
1: Because we do get a lot of people, uh, you know, writing in to the show wanting to know about the things they can do to improve their sense of well-being and health in general that are free. And uh, because it's easy to get caught up with all the devices and supplements and all the things, and some mm-hmm. of them are quite pricey. Thankfully, by the way, the Apollo. How much is the Apollo? It's not as much as some of these
0: things. The Apollo is three forty nine. All all right, no, nope. we'll give we'll give a we'll give a special discount to your Okay, listeners.
1: cool. I mean, that's you know, to some people, that's a chunk of change. Um, right now, for me, that's not a lot, especially in comparison just to some of the coin I've dropped on some of the other things here at the house. But um, I always tell people like if you don't have any money and you don't want to buy devices or supplements or anything like that to improve your life, like, you know, get up, watch the sunrise, do some breath work, meditate, take an ice bath. So many of the things, pray, all of the attitudinal things that you just described, Mm -hmm. gratitude, human connection, love, touch, sex, Mm -hmm. affection, you know, all of that, giving service, um, and a lot of people don't want to do those things because they require uh, a little more effort and uh mm. self discipline you know people when i used to do one on one coaching like if people had depression my number one thing was like all right you're going to watch the sunrise for 7 days and you're yeah. going to watch your depression go away because you're going to make a shitload of dopamine throughout the day and your serotonin then the melatonin the metabolites of that you're going to be good probably with just that and uh you know very few of them could do it they're like mm-hmm. yeah 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 what about that nootropic <laughs> right. Yeah. You know? so Right. So thank you for closing with that profound wisdom. And uh, it's with much anticipation and enthusiasm that I'll look forward to our next chat. Likewise. Thank oh, you so much oh, for You know me. what, there's one last thing. Actually, uh, give
0: us your social media and any websites you want people to go visit. Oh, sure. Um, so if you want to find out more about Apollo, you can go to www.apolloneuro.com or Apoloneuroscience.com. that's uh, A-P-O-L-L-O-N-E-U-R-O.com. Um, we also have some really great tips on how to cope with stress in this particularly stressful time. Um, so please check those out. Um, those are also free. Um, and I personally use them and I think they're extremely effective at helping me maintain my uh, health and resist getting sick. Um, and you could also reach out to me personally uh, at my my, clinic, my um, clinical practice website is drdave.io. And I'm also on Twitter at Dave Rabin and on Instagram at Dr. David Rabin. Awesome, man. Thank you. We'll put all that stuff in the show notes.
1: And for those listening, you know the drill. Get on the newsletter at lukestory.com forward slash newsletter. And uh, we're going to send you the transcripts, all the notes, all the clickables, every link that was mentioned throughout this conversation to your inbox every Tuesday. Uh, And with that, my friend, I will bid you farewell. You have a great next appointment and uh, I can't wait to talk to you again. We'll get on email and we'll, we'll book a part two and we'll, we'll go at it again. Can't wait. All right. Thanks, Thanks Luke. Yep. You too. Take care. What an exciting time to be alive folks. There are options when it comes to treatment for previously considered incurable issues of the emotion, mind, and thought. Thanks to Dr. Dave Rabin, amazing guest, amazing guy, doing incredible work in the world, not the least of which being the work he's doing at Apollo Neuro. So again, I wanted to uh, provide the discount that he's offered. If you want to check out this technology, you can go to apolloneuro.com and the discount code there is LUKE15 to save 15% off. Uh, And also on their site, there's a lot of science, Uh, tons of studies cited as well, which are definitely uh, worth the price of admission. So uh, as I said earlier and probably stated in the interview, I'm just obsessed with this thing. It's very cool. So I'm stoked that we got you guys a discount at apolloneuro.com. The code again is LUKE15 for 15% off. And if you're not a fan of technology, uh, always remember just the power of mindfulness, the power of meditation there were years and years of my life where uh, none of these technologies existed. And if they did, I was either unaware of them or unable to afford them. So uh, I meditated on the Natch for years and years and years and did quite well for myself in terms of up-leveling my consciousness, state of mind, and well-being. So don't think that you need technology or supplements or any of the stuff that I talk about on this show to have a good life. I always want to impress that on the listeners that... Uh, Some nature exposure, some sun, some hot, some cold, some breath work, meditation, reading some spiritual books, getting your mind right will take you a long way as well. For those of you that want to take it a little further, however, I'd like to uh, introduce you to today's sponsors, Blue Blocks. They make some great blue blocking eyewear. You can find that at blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X, blueblocks.com. The code there is lifestylist. That gets you 15% off. Our friends at Four Sigmatic make some fantastic medicinal mushrooms and instant coffee that I love. Foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke Story. The code there is The Lifestylist for 15% off. And then our friends over at Just Thrive, that's justthrivehealth.com. The code there is Luke15 for 15% off. They make a fantastic spore based probiotic as well as other goodies uh, like an immune formula. One that helps you to uh, digest gluten and a vitamin K2 supplement that's fantastic. So just know you can find all of our sponsors all the time, uh, in addition to their own native websites, at my online store, LukeStory.com forward slash store. It's a great place for you to find Uh, all of the goodies that I'm discovering in the world and also in most and many cases to get exclusive discount on those goodies. So go to lukestroy.com forward slash store. And uh, aside from all that more than anything, I just want to thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the work that I'm doing to bring amazing human beings like Dr. David Rabin uh, to the masses. I think that the work that he's doing is incredibly important. you might have guessed based on my enthusiasm in this conversation. And we're definitely going to have Dave back on uh, to dive even deeper into some of the specific therapies. I know we touched on it in this conversation, but we just kind of went down a number of different avenues. And um, I do want to get back and look at each of the compounds that are used in a therapeutic setting, what they do, what they work for, and, and do a bit of a deeper dive. So you can definitely look forward to a Part two with Dr. Rabin coming real soon. So again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being courageous enough to have an open mind and uh, not only think outside of the box, but just to forget that there's a box altogether and uh, enter in a new paradigm of understanding and awareness for us wacky humans. I'll be back in your eardrums next Tuesday for Victory Over Viruses, Supernatural Immunity with Kieran Krishnan and Tina Anderson. So make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And as always, I'm going to close this with the humble request that you share this episode with as many friends as you can. It's a great way to support the show and to support the great work of uh, Dr. David Rabin. All right, until next week, peace out.